Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan. Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be reflecting on an explosive opening weekend in the Guinness Six Nations in which Scotland sealed back-to-back wins in the Calcutta Cup for the first time since 1984. Plus, we'll be joined by Scotland hero Darcy Graham. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just eight ninety seven for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just eight ninety seven at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How's your week been, lads? Quiet. I, all I'm saying is I'm just happy to be home. That's that's. I'm just going to leave it there. Mercy. <laughs> we are bloody idiots, aren't we? I'm an idiot. I did everything that I said I wouldn't do. <laughs> Night one, on a Wednesday, in Dublin. Quiet occasion. Big shout out to Cafe Onsen. Big shout out to Sean Cronin and Guinness. Quiet. No. <laughs> 3 a.m., Copper Face Jacks, absolutely ramdingoed. The complete opposite. And that started off the snowball effect of everything from me dropping the mic and leaving on Thursday in Edinburgh. And I'm sure we'll go around the houses and everything. Getting in at one o'clock on Friday, full day on Saturday, and Scotland doing the obvious and beating England. And we've gone about the houses on that. Andrew, how in Mary, Joseph, and Adam and Steve are you still standing? <laughs> All I'm saying, James, is 3.5 kilos was the addition that I added in body weight last week. I dread to think how many pints of Guinness and blackcurrant I put down myself. I can tell you on Wednesday and Thursday, collectively, it was more than 30, responsibly. <laughs> oh, jeez. Collectively, is that including you or just me? No, that's you, as in collectively <laughs> over two nights, as in one and two, collective. Yeah, uh, I'll just say it was a heavy week, right? Three and a half kilos got added to the scales from when I left the house on Wednesday to when I got home Saturday evening after hosting something in London as well. And my missus said, you, you look tired. I said, oh, it's just work. Walked in the house, kids are already in bed. She's like, you look absolutely shattered. And I wanted to say, what do you think happens after 50, 60 pints of Guinness over the last four days responsibly? <laughs> you know, of course I'm going to be tired. But yeah, a hell of a few days, as we said, started off Cafe on Seine in Dublin. And then we'll come on to Edinburgh, James, at the Pear Tree. Should we come on to that? Should we just let the masses know now? Let's set the scene. So feeling a bit rough after Wednesday night in Dublin. A bit rough? Well, yeah, a little bit. Got to the hotel in Edinburgh on Thursday. I had to just get my head down for a couple of hours to recover, which was, it was basically a recovery sleep in the afternoon. Odd message going back to the missus, how are the kids? Yeah, great. I've just got to go and get some food with Jim and do some work and all this stuff. Basically head down the hotel, recovery mode. And then we've gone to the pear tree in Edinburgh for our live show on Thursday night. And that first one just slipped down so nicely, the Guinness and Blackcurrant again. 
And then one leads to two, leads to six, leads to ten. And we finished the live show, and it was a hell of a live show. Ryan Wilson came along and was brilliant on the mic. There was sing songs. You know, I was killing it as a fat Gary Barlow and a fat Robbie Williams. And it was great. Everyone loved it. Next minute, it's finished. Just going for a quick piss. And it was a long piss because it was about eight Guinness deep at that point. Gone to the bar. Where's Jim? Over to you, James. Kaiser Soze, if you can even say that now with everything that's gone on with him. But like that, he's gone. There's getting mobbed and then there's getting mobbed. And this one guy came up to me and basically fell to his knees in front of me. I asked him what was going on. He said he was having a panic attack. I was like, I've got you. I am fully fledged in first aid and put him in the recovery position, saw the door. I shouldn't have seen the door. If he wasn't on the floor and his head poking towards the fire exit, I wouldn't have left. So for the guy who had the panic attack because he was talking to me, thank you. It's your fault that the masses were wondering where Goody's partner in crime was because I was so gone in a taxi that I had the, the biggest smile on my face from ear to ear because I knew that being in that taxi at half nine at night was better than being in that taxi at half nine in the morning heading back to my hotel with Goody. <laughs> so I do apologise for the masses who wanted me to hang about, but it's a busy week. It's a busy old week and I'm professional. And if it wasn't for Wednesday, I would have done it on Thursday. So Wednesday, it's your fault. Dublin, it's your fault. Copperface Jacks, it's your fault. And the guy who I put in the recovery position, a big thank you from my wife and the family because I woke up on Friday with a significantly clearer head. Friday morning, I did not wake up with a clear head, James, again. I know you didn't, Andrew, because I had a few mates asking where I was, and they said, they've got visuals on you, who looks like he's eating you from Wednesday, <laughs> outside in the smoking area, just holding the fort, just literally holding the fans together. The glue that is the rugby pod that is Andy Good is holding the fort and... For that, I thank you, because as we know, Edinburgh is my hometown. They didn't used to like you, but now Scotland is unbelievably good. They don't mind you. Well, basically, it was like your international career, Jim. You went missing again, didn't you? You went missing in Edinburgh. <laughs> you went missing when you pulled on that fucking Scotland jersey as well. But anyway, I've got a complaint about Edinburgh, though. It's, a, it's quite a big complaint as well, because what goes with 10 or 12 pints of Guinness responsibly, another five or six, and then at the end of the night, what do you need? Kebab. Chips, Savloys. All of it. But what I did do, there's a complaint and then a mind-blowing experience. The complaint was at three o'clock in the morning when I needed a kebab, there was nowhere open. Literally, I got the taxi driver driving all around Edinburgh looking for any kebab house. Absolutely nothing open anywhere. But rewind the clock to about 10 p.m. that evening when everyone was on the hunt. Where's Jim? Where's Jim? Where's Jim? A couple of lads from the live show Decent lads were like, hey, goody, you know what you need to do? You need to try a battered Mars bar. I went, mate, if you get me a battered Mars bar, bring it back to the pear tree. I will eat it right here, right now in front of you. Thinking he was taking the pish. And literally, five minutes later, this geezer's arrived with two battered Mars bars. One for him, one for me. First time I've ever had a battered Mars bar in my life. And my goodness, what an experience, James. Just slipped down the throat. I'm not going to lie. It was delicious. I mean, I might have had 10 Guinness and Black responsibly beforehand, but as that hit the nodules and the taste buds... The tar from the camel. <laughs> as it hit the taste buds on my tongue, I've gone from a pint of Guinness and Black taste in the mouth to the most unbelievable battered Mars bar you've ever had in your life. 
It was phenomenal, James. So call me Scottish. I've eaten a battered Mars bar and I loved it. I feel sick actually thinking about the days that you've gone through here. Not just the fact that we retain the Calcutta Cup again, but the fact that what you've put your body through Genuinely, I am surprised that your hair is still weaved and still knotted. <laughs> your body must have been on shutdown, especially with the last two years, because we've not done that, have we? We've not done back no. to back to back when it's absolutely ramdingoed and you know we're all drinking out the same pint glasses and there's 200 people in a room with a mask down by the throat and they're probably wearing them as G-strings and that's as far <laughs> as it went. So it felt right is what I'm trying to say. So a big shout out to everyone who came to Dublin on Wednesday who turned out in Edinburgh. Uh, we were humbled, weren't we, Goody? We were like, this is crazy. Uh, and we've spoken about it before, haven't we, in terms of where the podcast went to where it is now, closed down, and the fact that everyone came back out, it was mental. You must have been getting mobbed at Murrayfield on Saturday as well. Guilty. <laughs> great buzz around the stadium. Great buzz, great energy, considering it was absolutely smashing it done. Like, it was a monsoon. And they were like, I don't care. They were standing outside. They were cheering me. They were cheering the bus. They were cheering Hoggy. I was in the stand with the masses watching the match. And I've got a funny story. I know you know about it, Goody. But for those of you who don't follow me on social, at Jim Hamilton 4, this guy, this chopsy guy, actually looked like you, Goody. He's probably a little bit bigger. He's probably like the size you are now. He genuinely did look a little bit like you. Hold on. He looked nothing like me. And he was twice the size of me. So just rewind there. Take that back. A little bit like you then. Arrogant. He wasn't bold, but he was fat. And he keeps turning around, like, even before the game starts, he's like, oh, England are going to smash Scotland today. And I'm thinking, based on what? Like, what are you saying? That? Anyway, I was just like, get on with it then, mate. I know, like, have a selfie and all that, no problem. Everything, anything. Like, he's basically, whenever England did anything, if they caught the ball, he's turning around. He's like, oh, I bet you England are going to smash Scotland. I was like, well, what do you want to bet then? Like, do you want to bet a house? Do you want to bet a car? He's like, you give me your missus's number if England beats Scotland. I says, well, I'll tell you what, if England beats Scotland, I'll give you my missus's number. If Scotland beat England, you you walk out of here, start bollock naked with your pants in your mouth. And he was like, yeah, all right then. And then he turned around a little bit later as it was a tight game. He's like, yeah, I can't do that. Um, if England win, you give me your number. And I said, right, well, if England win... I'll give you my number. I said, if Scotland win, you'll walk out here with your moves hanging out. And as we know, he's walked out the stadium with the others hanging out, bless him. So good bit of banter in the crowd. A lot of pish responsibly being drank. And the romance of the Six Nations is well and truly alive. Let's get into the Calcutta Cup then, Goody. What do you make of it? Well, I've watched it back again. And this might be controversial. Because Scotland won the Calcutta Cup. Let's say that first. Scotland won it and they defended heroically. Watching the game back, we should have won that game by 15 points. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you, no. I'm not kidding you. I'm looking at possession. I'm looking at decisions that were made. I'm looking at where the game was with 20 minutes to go. England 17 points to 10 up. Scotland getting driven to the cowsheds and back in the malls. The amount of possession that we had. Fair play. Listen, Scotland, credit to them without a shadow of a doubt. The opportunities, I think they got into our 22 once in the first 50-odd minutes. I think that was a crazy stat that came out, and that's obviously where they scored. In reality, listen, Scotland, when you're looking back at the game, you now say, fair play. And I tweeted about it after the game. Without a shadow of a doubt, Eddie Jones has cost us the Calcutta Cup with his decisions. Now, you look at the 10 points that Scotland scored in the first half. The try came from England mistake. You know, the line out, everyone's half asleep. Then Marrow flies out the line when they hit back to that blind side. 
you know, it's a, I think there's four or five Scotland attackers on that far side. There's only three defenders. Maro, Nikizikwi and Ben Young's on the edge. And Maro flies out the line against Stuart Hogg, which makes Darcy Graham have a line, cuts a short line off him. And both Izikwe and Ben Young's are just on their haunches because you're supposed to be just drifting across there. You don't fly out the line. So there's a mistake there. Brilliant line from Darcy Graham. Credit to Scotland for and Hoggy for picking that out. Then the, the penalty just before half-time. Again, Maratoji giving the penalty away. But England, we'd controlled that first half in terms of possession, territory. We, again, we went to the kicking game a lot. You, you see, and, and this is one of the problems, I think, with Eddie Jones' coaching. He's so autocratic in how he does everything. If he tells the players with, there's an option of kicking it through on the edge, which there are at times, and some of the kicks are okay, you don't need to do it every time you get the ball, boys. 5v3. Why are you kicking it through? Let's go through the hands. I know the conditions were difficult at times, but we kicked away a lot of possession. And then we get ourselves into that position, 17-10 up. I mean, there was dominance and there was absolute dominance. The, the Scotland forwards were just begging for no set pieces, right, Jim? Where, on what bit? Are you saying we struggled <laughs> to set pace? 100%. In, like, you couldn't control our driving line out whatsoever. What do you mean control it? Well, every time you're getting driven back 10 or 15 metres. Now, in those conditions, you don't need to play rugby. If you've got a driving line out and a territorial game, you just say, they are lads. Ludlum was on fire. Sinclair was on fire. Our driving line out was absolutely dominating Scotland. Step up, Eddie Jones. I know what I'm going to do. We're seven points up. We're going to take off Marcus Smith. We're going to take off Carl Sinclair. We're going to take off Lewis Ludlum. And then we capitulated. And you've got to credit Scotland, without a shadow of a doubt. You credit Scotland, you know, for having Finn Russell, the cojones to go crossfield kick back to crossfield kick, you know, the detail of the first crossfield kick, England's defence were too tight. Were they too tight? Because George Ford was on, he likes a tighter defence. Don't know. Max Malin's on the wing. Was he too tight? And Freddie Stewart slightly out of position. Max Malin's then misses the tackle, which means Marchant overchases. Freddie Stewart comes up to make the tackle. And then Karen Sickey is on the end for the second crossfield kick against Darcy Graham. Obviously, the fear, the panic in his eyes, in his arse in absolutely everything he was doing he slaps it out but where's your six your six should be that last defender there so Don Brandt's come on at six instead of Lewis Ludlam Marchant would have come back so there's loads of things that added to it but class from Finn Russell to go pinpoint kick to pinpoint kick to create the the penalty try and yellow card 100% it was and then secondly Eddie Jones doesn't change Jamie George onto the field when we've got a five meter line out he says, Joe, Joe Marler, there you go. All your fingers are taped up. You've probably never done this in your life, but here's the biggest pressure thrower in the world in a Calcutta Cup. And then he sixed him on 10 seconds afterwards for the scrum. We eventually give a penalty away. So, listen, I'm not taking anything away from Scotland at all. They defended heroically. Steve Tandy has done a ridiculous job there. But England will look back at that game and hopefully Eddie Jones can look back at that game, put his hand up and say, I've made some horrific errors in terms of the management of my team the decision-making, and he's effectively cost us the Calcutta Cup. So I blame Eddie. And, you know, fair play, Scotland were good. Ferguson was outstanding. A number of players were very, very good for Scotland. Duan van der Merwe was great. And Jim, you can go into more detail on the Scottish side of it. Darcy Graham was absolutely fantastic. But we should have won that game comfortably. And I think it's our own errors from players and coaches that cost us. It's an interesting take, Goody, that you've got on the game. Not that I'm blinded, but I had to watch it a couple of times. So in the stadium, 
as I was getting abused by your mate, I couldn't really see what was going on. So there was a lot of talk around the scrum. There was a lot of talk around Luke Cowan Dickey. It shouldn't have been a penalty try. Oh, it should. Well, it should have been a penalty try, but you can imagine what the English fans are saying. They think it's ridiculous. I took away a couple of things from the game and had to go back and watch it. One was a bit of arrogance from England on a couple of occasions, and you've mentioned it. Marla thrown in the line out. At what point do you think, right, as an English team, as a management, regardless of what you say, Scotland got one of the best lineouts. We have. Like, we've got an unbelievable lineout. That on your own five meter line, that you can do the old dinky do, a two step lob, throw one around the corner to Dombrand, who's three meters and needs to go five meters, and get away with it. Well, they didn't. When you say arrogance, I, I struggle to say it, think that's the player's fault. I think that's the management. So that's Eddie Jones. Like, Joe Marlon's never thrown a line out like that in his life, has he? Well, I've not seen him. Well, exactly. So the contingency plan is, right, if this happens, right, you do that. And it's a panic station. So that the players have panicked, but it's it sits with Eddie Jones. Get your hooker on the field. Get him on for the biggest line out that England have had in that game. Well, he does. He brings him on after that. And my point being, from that line out, we win the game. Yeah, exactly. We get the penalty. And you can mm-hmm. see there was a bit of conferring going, do we go to the corner... Do we go for another scrum? And we'll come on to the scrums in a bit. I'll give you my analysis around that. No, no, no. We give England the full respect they deserve and we'd be like, this could be a three-point game, a two-point game. Yep. We could be looking at a draw. Let's go for the post. Finn slots the goal and we go three points in front. Then I know it's further out. I know the range is further out. Hamish Watson gives away a penalty. England find themselves getting into Scotland's half. Uh, there's another penalty. Uh, they go to corner. We steal the line out. Jim, just rewind it. So where you say England go to the to the line out from the penalty, I 100% think that we should have kicked that at goal to take it to 20 points all. So that's where I was going to pull it back. So my point being, where they kick to the corner, we steal the line out. Elliot Daly, and I'm only going based on commentary, but I was watching him. And as you know, and as we know, and as our listeners know, that's why we think he went on the Lions tour because he can kick from in his own half. But yes, it was yeah. windy. But why wouldn't you even have a shot at goal? And if it does go too far or whatever, the likelihood is you're getting the ball back in a similar area of the pitch. The fact that they thought that... Maybe the driving line out was going, wow. I mean, you know, this is the thing. Yeah, this is my thing on it. So there's two things. Personally, I think you should take the, the shot at goal. But if you choose to go to the corner... Now, are they thinking, and this is just me thinking... I've got no intel from inside the England camp. Are they thinking, well, a draw is actually no good because that means Scotland retained the Calcutta Cup anyway because you won at Twickenham last year. Then they might think, right, well, our driving line-out has been unbelievable. Henry Slade, who's kicked left foot to that right touchline all game. Every penalty, Henry Slade kicked it. George Ford is on the pitch now because Marcus Smith's gone off. And oh, by the way, Eddie Jones, if you'd watched Marcus Smith properly over the last 18 months, how many games has he single-handedly won for his club? And for England, he beat South Africa on his own towards the death. So why'd you take him off? Oh, because you've made a mistake, but you won't admit it. But then George Ford's on the field at 10. Henry Slade's been kicking them all and he's got history. I remember he ended, Henry Slade single-handedly ended the career of my great friend and great Scotsman, Jim Hamilton, with his left foot kick to that corner down against Saracens for Exeter. He's been doing it for years and obviously they drove over the line out, scored, and that was Saracens knocked out the Prem. That was, you know, you had Graves' disease, didn't you? So you would have played in the Prem final the next week. But, oh no, we're going to give it George Ford. And he kicks it to, I'm not taking the piss. I'm retired. I've put on a, a good 10 kilos and some. I'd have found 
closer to the corner than George Ford did with that kick. Um, and I've got pins and plates on my ankle. I'm sorry. Henry Slade, why hasn't he taken that kick to the corner, which one, he's been doing all game until Marcus Smith goes off, and two, he's renowned for it as a skill. So where you look at leadership, go back to the 2015 World Cup, whereas I don't know, do we take the three? Do we kick it to the corner? Blah, 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 blah. George Ford was part of that decision-making process. Why hasn't Henry Slade got the ball, pulled his shorts up as he does, and then walloped it even eight metres out? Because what happens is, I think the line-out was about the 22, or just outside the 22, wasn't it? Fucking Scotland haven't hardly competed all game. They can put two pods up. And what did they do? They nicked the line-out. I think they saw Jim in the crowd and went, yeah, we're getting up for this one. They, they nick the line-out, don't they? Whereas if you put it seven, eight, even nine metres out... Maybe they don't compete because they're thinking, geez, we've got to stay on the deck here and absolutely blitz this more that we haven't been able to blitz all game. So, shocking from England. But on that line-out, though, that's probably where the confusion lay because they obviously thought it was going to go further and then had to change their call as they were going to the line-out because they're like, hang on, mate, we're not even in the 22 here properly. So, you could see the momentum changing and there's all this talk at the end around the scrums and Ben McKeith giving Scotland the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) If you look at all the scrums over the weekend with this new breakfoot law, I'm not going to go into it, but there was issues in every single scrum. The France-Italy game as well, right to the very last scrum in that game. The scrum where we got the penalty off as well to win the game. There was issues before that. And then I actually thought, and again, I'm giving you my honest take on the game, that it should have been a penalty at the scrum for Marla wheeling around WP now. And all the England fans and everyone's like, well, you know, it should have been a penalty to England. I've had to go back and watch it because, you know, I'm happy to fall on my sword. I've gone back and watched it five or six times. And I'm like, every decision Ben McKeith has made is right. Apart from that last one, where I thought the penalty could have gone for Scotland for Marla running around WP now. And you understand why he's done it. And I thought Darcy Graham's... Turnover was quite lucky. Uh, that, uh, but this is the whole thing. You make your own luck. And I know we take the piss and we joke about it. I have been in them games before where we have lost them. For whatever reason, through a decision not going our way, through the bounce of a ball. And it feels now with Scotland, it's our time. It feels like for whatever reason, the tide is turning. In parts of that, I thought England played better. I mean, they put a lot more width. They looked a more, lot more comfortable in attack. But the difference is now with Scotland is when we get the opportunities, we take the two opportunities we got was the try that we scored with Ben White, Ben McWhite, and then obviously the, the, the two crossfield kicks from Finn, which resulted in a penalty try. And then we took the penalty off the scrum as well. That shows me that we did deserve to win the game for them reasons. I know you think England played better. Did you say that? No, England should have won that game by 10 points if we'd have been as accurate as Scotland was. Scotland, listen, you deserve the win. The scoreboard doesn't lie, does it? But it's England's errors a lot of the time. Not necessarily in the t- in the tries or the points that Scotland score, but the way we, the, the coaches, and I say coaches, sod it, the way Eddie Jones managed everything. You know, the changes that were made. You're 17-10 up, you're driving to the cow sheds and back, and Marcus Smith scored all 17 points. I'll tell you what we'll do, we'll take him off. No, Eddie, you're wrong. And then obviously the line out, and you go into it. Scotland deserve the win. I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Scotland. What I am frustrated about is England and specifically Eddie Jones with with how he managed that last 20 minutes because you shouldn't be losing the game when your line-out drive is that dominant, the weather is that average and your 10 is controlling the game as he was at the time. Question for you, Jim. Owen Farrell's at 10, exactly the same circumstances. England 17-10 up with 20 minutes to go. 
would he take Owen Farrell off, put Marcus Smith on, or even different, same thing, would he have, with George Ford on the bench, would he have taken Owen Farrell off and put George Ford on? I'm telling you now, no, he wouldn't. And that's where the error is. While we're on the topic of Eddie, is there any chance that he could lose his job if these performances continue leading into the World Cup? Yes. If they get beat by Italy at the weekend, I can tell you now. <laughs> you say there's a chance. From what I saw from Italy for 55 minutes. <laughs> I, 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 no, there is no chance. But you have to look at it now. For the first time ever, we are properly questioning it for the reasons you've just said, Goody. What I'm disagreeing with is the fact that you're saying for the first time now. It ain't the first time now. Like Six Nations last year, autumn before then. He should have, If he was going, he should have gone then. The thing is now... You're reading loads of stuff in the press. There isn't anyone at the RFU above him with the rugby knowledge or gravitas to hold him to account. So the fact that he's already made the decision that he's leaving after the World Cup in 2023, I think they've gone that far down the line now. Yeah, If we lose to Italy, sack him. Without a shadow of a doubt, we lose to Italy, sack him. You've got Cockers and other guys there to take over Matt Proudfoot and then quickly come up with a plan. We ain't losing to Italy, I hope. I really hope. We've got Wales at home two weeks after that, then Ireland at home, then France away. If you beat Italy and lose all three, then I think you've got to have a fair conversation around it. I've praised him for changing his ways around picking players on form and what we're seeing from this new, younger England squad because he didn't move on from the 2019 World Cup. Call Eddie what you want. He is authoritarian. He is autocratic in his leadership. And we sit here now and he's got a bunch of youngsters. Marcus Smith... I've said it before, back him to the cowsheds and back. Back him to the hills. Look what he does for Quinns with all the backing that he gets. But because there's still this thing around Owen Farrell at 10 and he's his skipper, he basically pulled the rug from under him. Imagine what we'd be saying now. 17-10 up, Marcus Smith goes on, we score maybe another try and we win 24 points to 10. Where everyone would be saying Marcus Smith is he's the man to win us the World Cup, but... Eddie didn't give him the chance, does he? And credit to Scotland, they turned the tide. Those substitutions also turned the tide. The belief and everything like that. And I'm not saying George Ford did too much wrong, but I do know you only change your fly half in a game for one obvious reason, he's injured, and then three other reasons. One, the fly half's having a stinker. Marcus Smith was not having a stinker. Two, you're winning by 20 points and it ain't going to change the, the effect of the result. We weren't. We were winning 17-10. And three... You don't like him. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you don't like him. Or you're losing by a load of points. You don't change your 10. He's the fulcrum of the team. Unless you're either losing heavily, you know, and you need to change. You've got a point of difference on the bench. And Eddie Jones gets too involved with calling him, and he finishes, mate. Yeah, mate, 23-man game. They're bloody replacements and substitutes. But that's why, Goody, maybe they changed him because of that game last time at Twickenham where it was 32 points to seven at half-time or whatever it was, and then it turned into a 38-all draw, and he scored at the end, didn't he? We scored, but Marcus Smith wasn't playing that game. No, but that's what I mean, but maybe because of what George Ford did against Scotland a couple of years before. You know what I mean? Ridiculous. Look what Marcus Smith has done. You know, I know I'm going to be harsh here. George Ford, 70-odd caps. Within those 70-odd caps, there aren't many games where you'd say he has absolutely dominated. Always come on and change the game. So for, for me, it was a ridiculous, ridiculous change. And could Eddie get sacked? Well, if we finish fifth, I'd, I'd sack him if we finish fifth. Get rid of him. <laughs> well, let's focus on the positives now then and have a chat with one of Scotland's Calcutta Cup winning heroes from Saturday. 
Darcy Graham joins us. How are you, mate? Very well. Yourself? Yeah, we're very happy, mate. Very happy. Goody, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'm, I'm happy you've come on, Darcy. I'm happy you've come on. Darcy, mate, it's class to have you. Obviously, I've been watching you play for the last few years and I knew you were going to come through. And not that you've just come through now, you, you came through a couple of years ago and you've been fantastic. But I know it's all about looking forward now, but for all our listeners... A lot of the Scottish fans are going to be buzzing with what they saw at the weekend, what they saw from you. Just take us back, because I know you're concentrating on Wales, but how did the whole kind of build-up with fans back in the stadiums, families being in stadiums, and England being first up at home in the Calcutta Cup, how was it? Oh, it was mad. That's probably the most emotional I've been coming off the bus, I think, just the build-up. Obviously, the weather was horrendous, but the fans were there in numbers, and that's probably the best atmosphere. It was like, when you come off the bus, that was the best atmosphere I've um, ever encountered. So... From um, the get go, the start, it was just it was bouncing and just like get when it got stuck into the game, it was just mad. They, I can remember the English started singing, then the Scottish fans like countered it and like outsung them. So I, it was just honestly the whole whole experience was just it was mental. And were you emotional as you got off the bus because you saw Jim Hamilton in the crowd and like he was everyone's <laughs> vice captain back in the day? Because that's what he's claiming. He said he saw the lads come off the bus and that was when he knew he gave you all the nod and Scotland were winning. Did you see him or not? I can't. I can't say I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> he felt me. He felt the energy because I was. I actually saw. I saw the bus come in, Darcy, and I was stood there. I was doing some filming for the union, and and like you said, it was absolutely smashing it down. Like not a little bit of rain, and the fans that were there. And I remember. I don't know. It's different now. I don't know whether it is different. Maybe you can tell us. But normally we'd get off the bus and just walk in. I'd wave to a few people, and then when Finn gets off, everyone cheers. But. You all waited, didn't you? You waited at the bottom of the bus for everyone to get there and the place just went mad when you all walked into the ground. Yeah, that's a new thing we've brought in, just everybody kind of get out of the bus and just wait till the last person's off and we all go in together. And I quite like being off quite early because you just get to build in, get build that atmosphere and soak it all up. And um, I managed to pick up my granny and papa out in the, in the crowd. So uh, my papa was roaring and crying pretty much the whole game. Yeah, I can imagine the emotions were huge. I saw the anthems as well. Anthems were great. You know, there's plenty of emotion in the the Scottish anthem, the Flower of Scotland. There's a few tears from a few of the lads, actually, as well. So in terms of the build-up and rewinding before that, even, England came out, Eddie Jones came out and said, you, you boys are favourites. And I know there's this massive emotion around Scotland, England, and, you know, I'm not going to say hatred, but, you know, the whole uh, rivalry, etc. What Did you boys react off that at all in camp around Eddie Jones saying that Scotland were favourites? Because it's quite a big thing to say, I thought. Yeah, it is. I think you know, as boys, like, we just focus on ourselves and we just go out there and play our game. We don't really focus about on, on anybody else. And like you say, just we back our ability to go out there and put a, perform- a performance on. So it's just all about us when we go on the pitch and we don't really look too much into the media side. I know Eddie likes to play a bit of games and that and it's he's always done it but he's but like I said we just focus on ourselves and nothing really phases us one of the great stats that's come out of the game is that you beat more or as many defenders as the whole of the England team individually so it's hell of an effort let's talk through the the try that you've put on for the debutant white now at any point were you thinking nah he's not getting it I know it was a real simple 2v1 you've obviously skinned Marchant who's the second last defender and then there's a 2v1 on the edge I'm thinking is he going for glory but you did the right thing didn't you and the 2v1 was executed. Nah, you have to you have to give the 2v1. If you get caught man and ball then don't give the pass, you're going to get slated for it. So uh, it's an easy, easy one. And to see the smile on Ben's face when um, he scored, it made my day. What about the noise when he scored? I mean, that is, it's hard to kind of explain even to people that were 
in the stadium as yeah. fans, as a player, and I've not experienced that noise. <laughs> I think the games I played, all, we, we took all penalties. There were a couple of tries. I remember Max Evans and Tom Evans, great lads, scoring them. But what what is that like? What's that feeling like, Darcy, for the youngsters listening to this as a player on the pitch? Someone who's just gone through in open space and you've set up that try. I know Ben White scored the try. It was a great move. But just try and describe that feeling if you can. Uh, it's just it's ridiculous. It's very hard to put into words. It's just he's growing up as a Scottish boy, that's all you dream of, uh, making line breaks and the, the fans just roaring and cheering. So it's like a dream come true. And yeah, it's so hard, like you say, it's so hard to put into words, but it's it's just, uh, it gives you goosebumps thinking about it. I've got goosebumps thinking about it now. It's, it's, uh, there's no better feeling. Lovely. And then let's talk about Luke Cowan Dickey's batting the ball into touch. I've read over the weekend that you were absolutely raging because that was your <laughs> opportunity to score a try and I've got no doubt you'd have scored it. It's funny, isn't it? Like the rage comes out because a, a, a hooker has slapped the ball into touch. It would have been your try. Was rage definitely out there? Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say rage. I'm more gutted. It was just one of those things. Stop just going to try and like, say there's nothing better just going to try at, at Murrayfield. So I, I was gutted. But fair play to me. You found yourself in a horrible spot and you um, done well to get up and like you got up in front of me. But I don't you kind of no, he's thinking slapping the ball forward, but kind of fair play to him to get up there and back himself. But I was, I was guided. Yeah, I, I bet you were, Darcy. I mean, just tell us about that move because me and Goody were chatting, me and Freddie Burns were chatting about it, and Freddie and Goody both contextualised it well. The reason why it came off was it always going to be a double kick, or was it just because of the way that first, how well that first kick went to Duan van der Merwe that the option was on for you. Did you call it in because you saw poor Luke Kalanicki yeah. on the wing? Mate, claim it. <laughs> so it was, uh, the scrum move actually went wrong. I was meant to go left and carry and um, then I ended up going right I seen space but then Finn just put that kick right across the Dewey and it was perfect then. I just held that touch line and Finn just backed himself to get it off under pressure and he put it right on the money and Finn just, he's world class at what was kicking the kicking game so he just sees the space and goes for it. So he's, um, and he backs himself. So he's just honestly, he's world class and it's quite a one. And Darcy, you had three of the biggest impacts on the game. People talk about wingers scoring tries, making impacts with ball in hand. You obviously create the try for Ben White, tick. The crossfield kick to you when Karen Dickey slaps it off the field would have been a try to you, tick. And the third one was the turnover at the very end. I mean, are you telling Hamish Watson and the other back row boys you've won it for us? Yeah, I was I was very lucky to get that penalty. I kind of gave one away ten minutes before from going off my feet. Um, but yeah, the boys were buzzing. I kind of just barred myself, stuck my head in the ruck, and luckily came away with the ball and um, Huggy and Huggy kicked out. So yeah, the boys were buzzing, but it was team effort. Like the forwards stuck their um, bodies on the line in those scrums. It was scrum after scrum after scrum. So I think they were absolutely delighted to see the ball getting kicked out. With the Calcutta Cup, there seemed to be a shift which I've not seen in Scotland. And this will bring us on to the rest of the tournament and the game at the weekend against Wales. The celebrations before have been like we've won the World Cup final. And I'm sure that that's how it felt. I know the Calcutta Cup got passed twice because Princess Anne had to come on and give it, even though Hoggy had already given it to the boys, which was quite funny. Royalty. But from your perspective, did it feel a little bit different this time? With all due respect to England, we, we, we won it last year. You know, we've drawn one. We've won one before. You know, England have only beaten us one in five. Is there something bigger for this team now, Darcy, in front of us? Yeah, I strongly believe so. Um, so I've kind of thought for a while that we're going to really do something amazing. Something's just going to click over the next few years. And yeah, I do believe we can do something special. And like, like I say, this is in years to come. Years before, it was like the Cup was the be all and end all. If you won that, it's like you win the World Cup. But 
it's just a trophy and um, like we want to win it and then go on and do something special. So it's not the be all and end all. We've got, we've got, a, long, we've got a long few weeks ahead of us, but we can, we can definitely come out the other end with something very big. And then looking forward to this weekend, obviously going on to Wales. You've not actually won in Cardiff at uh, the Principality since 2002. Um, so I don't think Jim ever won down there, did you, Jim? But then we won't go into that one. Obviously a massive test and ultimately, you know, talking about, about wings, Lewis Rees-Zamet is going to be ridiculously quick. Obviously Josh Adams moved back to the wing at the weekend. What are you expecting from the Wales team? Because they're going to be wounded, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. They're, um, they'll be hurting after that loss, so they'll be coming hard. And like you said, we've not won there for 20 years now. So it's a massive opportunity to go down there and kind of show what we're about and like you spoke about their wingers, they're rapid, so they'll look to get their um, their quick boys on ball. So I think we're going to have to be on our game and really, really focus, diffusing the, them boys. And then Darcy as well, and like this week in training, I'm just quite interested to know who's running the show in training in terms of leaders, because the leaders in the team are the lads that like to go out and enjoy themselves. Obviously, Finn, that Hoggy enjoys that as well, and rightly so. You know, Ali Price, you see the three walking out to training every day together. But there needs to be like a shift in mentality, doesn't it? You go from that, and then it's straight down to business. So when you come into training Monday, Tuesday, who's running the show? Is it Gregor leading the charge, or is it all player-driven? Because it seems now that there's a big player drive within this squad, something that only myself brought to the team for 10 years in 2006 onwards. <laughs> oh <my> God, Jim. <laughs> yeah, um, so it kind of started the week. It starts out with Gregor and um, coaches. They just get the basics in with the, the new moves we're going to run in that. Then as the week goes on, um, the players take over. The closer the, the game day gets, the players start taking over. Um, Fenn and Hoggy step up and um, really taking control of everything. But I think kind of all the players just buy into it. And like, there's a lot of boys... Lead now, they might not even be in the leaders' group or leaders' groups, but the, the boys have like got respect, and anybody can jump in with them putting that into the group. So, we're all leaders in, in that terms, but um, yeah, later on the week, kind of Hoggy and Finn take over. Now, one of the things I want to ask you, you mentioned Finn quite a lot, and he was uh, you know instrumental in the victory at the weekend. A few weeks ago, it was made clear that Finn's pre match meal before one of his games was a five guys. Did he have a five guys before that performance? Because if he did, I've been looking around Edinburgh. I couldn't find one anywhere when I was there at the weekend. <laughs> he had an absolute stormer. Do you have anything like a five guys before a game? Are you all healthy food? No, I love, I love some lasagna the night before. That's uh, my, my go-to. And uh, down in Ospreys the week before, there was no lasagna and I was absolutely raging. So I had to um, deliver room and get some order down into the hotel. So yeah, lasagna is my go-to. Game. Well, Darcy, that's why we lost, mate, down in Osprey. I say we, why do I keep saying we? This is embarrassing. Jim, you are embarrassing. Talking of embarrassing, and I don't see this as embarrassing, Darcy, the captain, Skip. So when he's talking, he's getting all serious. Are you looking at the two, the top Nashers, or are you looking at the bottom Nashers? How do you feel as a Hoyt boy, a Borders boy, a strong country boy, that you captain and one of your mates has gone the full hog, no pun intended, hair, tan, and now fake tags. How is that? I mean, are you, are you going to go down that route or can you assure us that you're not? No, I'm definitely not. And has he had any banter for his teeth? Because only one set got done. He didn't do the bottom ones, did he? They still look like brown stumps. Uh, <laughs> 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 nah, he's had some steaks from it, the boy. He takes it very well. He loves it. Yeah, he loves the banter, but he takes it very well. Nice. Uh, and last thing I'm going to ask you then, Peter Vardy, I can see it on your shirt. The best sponsor you could ever imagine. My old Aston Martins. The boys couldn't have a night out on Saturday after winning the Calcutta Cup. Tell me, Finners, 
manage to whip up a bit more magic and you're all getting a DB7 or anything by the end of the Six Nations? Oh, I'm, I'm waiting for the free card coming, so hopefully <laughs> by the end of Six Nations. <laughs> Oh, mate, the boss from Aston Martin listens to this, so we'll try and get you on. Uh, Darcy, let's just leave on this, mate, because you're a young lad who's carving up. Yeah, I've been for Edinburgh as well. I know there's a humble element to it. You've got a massive Six Nations in front. Just try and sum up what it means. I know you've had a tough time as well with, with family, then there's been no fans at stadiums. Now, it, it just seems like everything's clicking at the right time. Just give us a kind of couple of lines on how it feels being a young lad on the wing, just literally ripping the ass out of it. No, it's just like, like I've said before, the young Scottish boy growing up, all you ever want to do was, for me, was play for Hike and play for Scotland. And to have like the fans back, like you said, it's it's unbelievable. And there's plenty of room. So just like the young boys, just go out there, back yourselves and um, just enjoy your rugby. And you can one day play for Scotland, no doubt, if you believe in it. That's one thing I'm always saying. Just if you believe in something hard enough, you'll get it. So you just always believe. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Darcy, and best of luck for the rest of the tournament. Cheers, take up. Darcy, thanks so much, mate. Mate, top man. Thanks, buddy. Really appreciate it, mate. Cheers. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just eight ninety seven for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just eight ninety seven at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Top, Top lad. Nothing more. Nothing more, nothing less. And I had to say it there at the end because it, it must be difficult as much as they might want to do it, they might not want to do it, to get a young lad, come on, having just won the Calcutta Cup, a player of his quality who's in the middle of a tournament to come and have fun and interact with us is quality. So that's credit to him. Big thank you to the Scotland Rugby Union for allowing that as well. And what an absolute treat because, I mean, he's just a, he's a worldie of a player and I love watching him. And the other thing is, do you remember when we took the Calcutta Cup back from Edinburgh to Twickenham three years ago, whenever it was? Yeah. I reckon he was still at school. We went to his school, didn't we? And he was, was he still there in his shorts? People were mentioning about this young lad coming through. They, th- they said, you, we, we've had Stuart Og, oh, you want to see this lad Darcy Graham? I was like, oh, all right then, here we go. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. And here he is. So I touched him on the shoulder. That's effectively what happened. And now look, that's shocking. I know. <laughs> I know. God, I'm embarrassing myself now. I've got zero influence over this team now. Mate, he was great. It's great having him on as well. Let's turn our attention to the other game of the Six Nations then. How good were Ireland? Ridiculous. But we knew that. We spoke about it. And I suppose my only worry before that game was, I've said it a million times, that I didn't think Wales would be any good. And they've always proven me wrong. This was a game, because we have, we've had Dan Bigger on, he's a friend of the show, and because he's new captain, we don't want to see Wales poor or struggling. 
But everything points in the direction that they were always going to struggle because with the injuries that they've got, Josh Adams at 13, which proved to not be a great decision, and with how Ireland have been going both in the URC, in Europe, and what they did to the All Blacks and all these things that we've spoken about in the lead-up, and that's exactly what we saw. What we thought was going to happen is exactly what happened. Ireland just dominant from start to finish. They're forwards, my goodness me, on the front foot, physical, Caleb Miel Doris, Ty Byrne, two friends of the show. Uh, I mean, everyone, all of them. They look frighteningly good on the front foot. And it was a consolation try at the end for Tane Basham. And that saved the blushes, really, because I know they said it on commentary, but it's a fact. You know, that getting that seven points at the end doesn't change much, but it changes the feeling of not being absolutely humperdinked. But they were humperdinked. I'll come back to Wales in a bit, but you talk about Ireland's forwards. What about their props? Oh, my Porter and oh, my Tyke Furlong. Absolutely world-class in every facet. The forwards, the ball handling, the ball carrying. I remember you go back three years, very similar players in that Ireland team were getting absolutely blitzed by England in the games that we played against them in terms of power. Now, this Ireland team, they're handling, they're ball carrying, they're metres after contact, the ruck speed because... Technically, they're flying into rocks like you wouldn't believe. They're winning those collisions. I think 71% of Ireland's rocks were under three seconds. I mean, you're blowing out your hoop if you're an attacker, but you're even more blown out your hoop if you're a defender because you ain't got time to reset or think or anything. They were just ridiculous, Ireland. And it's very similar to how they play against the All Blacks. They're, they're All of a sudden, they've clicked, haven't they? Everything went from the ball handling. Bundyaki scored a pretty quick try from you know accurate passing. Wasn't quite as quick as... Uh, the fastest try on opening Six Nations weekend ever. <clears throat> what? When was that? Oh, sorry. So I thought you were going to ask. 2009, Andy Goode, opening round of the Six Nations. <laughs> fastest try ever. Fastest try ever for an opening fixture of the Six Nations. Didn't say it. Archives, only try I've ever scored for England. But anyway, it's not about me. The passing's so crisp that they were just on point across the whole park, weren't they? And anyone that looked at it, and I'll be honest, right, I'll be honest, before the game when you saw the teams, I was like, Matt Hansen, I commentated on Connacht and I'm like, hold on, let me do some research here. Return of the, it wasn't even the return of the Mac, it was the start of the Mac. He was phenomenal. So what do we know? Test match players, aren't they? And Andy yeah. Farrell must know because again, it's a big call putting Matt Hansen in and for the millions of you who don't know him, he's an Aussie. He looks like an Aussie as well, but he plays like an Irishman and with everything that's happened in Ireland with CJ Stander and James Lowe, it's a big call for Andy Farrell to do that with the players that they've got to choose from. And I'm the same as you. I've seen a bit of Connor, looked a decent player, but they've seen something that shows that he could step up. And all my passes is all I'm saying. I mean, with a name like Mac, you best be good. And it wasn't, like you said, it wasn't even return of the Mac. It was like Mac is here, like Mac is in the house. That kind of Mac just adds another layer, doesn't it, really, to them? I mean, they weren't tested. And that's the thing for Ireland is the biggest test is going to be against France this weekend and that's where we'll get a gauge because arguably this is the Grand Slam decider coming up for them and Wales I suppose is going to be I'm going to say it, they have to beat Scotland because we were joking about it weren't we in terms of that last game against Italy if they don't beat Scotland at home where's their next win coming when you look at it really like where is the next generation of Welsh stars coming you look at Ireland We've spoken to Darcy Graham. You look at the profile of the Scotland team. England are always going to be good. France look phenomenal in terms of what they've got coming through, who they can choose from. Italy, let's say it, they're getting better. 
They've got a load of young players. Whereas Wales, and I commentate on the URC, and we've spoken about the regions, we've spoken about not winning a game in Europe. So you're like, all right, well, what's happening here then? And then you look at people in Wales and you look at media folk and guys like Tom Shanklin who mention it. And that's the thing. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see Wales getting humped every week. Whose doorstep does that land on, that problem? Why isn't there players coming through for Wales? I think a lot of the issues are just the relationship between the WRU and the regions. And there's a, a, there's a massive breakdown there from what you hear financially, politically, investment-wise, into academies and everything like that. Rugby is the number one sport, or was the number one sport in Wales for many, many years growing up. It might be football now. It's what every kid wants to do in Wales now. Yeah, because of the fallout and the big differences between the unions and the URC and how the union dominates when the Welsh players play, and it's it doesn't seem to be a great working relationship. It only sits at the, the WRU's door because the regions will be doing their utmost to produce the players, but they're hamstrung by... Yeah, you know, I know the finance has been ripped out of it from the WRU down to the to the regions and stuff. So you can only sit at Wales's door. And there are listen, there are some good young players there, but it's at the start, you know, you take out that whole forward pack that they're missing with the likes of Falatau, Ken Owens, Alan Wynne Jones, Tipperick. These boys have been around for donkey's years. Now you've got Basham, Ellis Jenkins. They're good young players, but you've relied so heavily. And you get it's a very similar strategy to England, 2003, World Cup. That team were at the absolute peak and at the end of their top cycle when they won it in 03. There was no succession planning by Clive Woodward because they all start retiring and it's like England were shit. And that was when I played for England, we were shit because I, I played in a few other guys without much experience. And then that's where Wales are now. They've been so reliant on a lot of these older guys where you're like, shit, actually, they're all not here. What do we do? So these they're going to have some tough learnings, the Welsh team, but... You hope that they can pull through and, uh, you know, they, they haven't lost at home in Cardiff to Scotland for 20 years. And I can see that continuing because imagine the rage this week. Tain Bashan's been saying it in the press already. There's going to be an edge. My God, there's going to be an edge. What about France's win over Italy on Sunday? Italy were a bit more competitive, weren't they? Generally are against France in the first half. Historically, it's been a big game for them, hasn't it? With the Latino effects and a lot of Italian players playing in France historically. It has changed. And look, I commentated on Italy in the autumn for the big ones when they played against the All Blacks, played really well, played against Argentina, they played well and they beat Uruguay, which was an absolute belting classic of a game. <laughs> but Italian rugby, this is the first time where I've actually seen that they are on a path to somewhere. It's come too late, in my opinion, because they're getting humped every week. But they do look better. They've got a young team, Kelly Lamaro as captain, the Benetton Treviso, back row, brilliant player, Paolo Garbisi, fantastic player at 10. You've got Menoncello, the try scorer, young lad scoring the tries. Padovani as well, who, as he said, looks like an avatar at 15. Uh, Ignacio Brex as well. Ioani on the wing. Monti. They've got some good players. And Seb Negri, friend of the show as well. It's easy to say a team's growing. They've got an opportunity. They're the complete opposite to Wales in terms of the strength and depth they've now got. The big investment in the in the regions. I know the Zebra are struggling. Benetton Treviso aren't. They're doing well. And I'm not saying they're going to do something, but I'm saying they look all right. And against France, they were all right. For that first half, they were physical. Their defence, they've got a really good defence to come up hard on the outside. The big thing for them and the big thing for Italy, I know they took their try well, Manicello on debut, is they don't score tries. So French look physical when they wanted to turn it on. 
been a bit of a nausea. The way they run off nine, obviously DuPont snipes and the forwards sending forwards down them channels, they've just got more power, haven't they? Against Ireland, that's going to be the big one because Ireland are probably quite similar in terms of the fringes. But yeah, wipe the floor with them in the end, really. But I was impressed with how Italy stuck in and I saw enough in that Italian team. And I'll tell you right here, right now, that Romania or Georgia shouldn't be coming up to the Six Nations because I think Italy over the next two or three years, if we give them long enough to come through, might end up taking over Wales and England. <laughs> Mate, you're dreaming. But yeah, actually looking at them, obviously Kieran Crowley's taken over. They looked much better organised as well, didn't they? Not only defensively, but some parts of their attack as well. And attack's the tough one to break down when you've got, like Jim said, you've got to score tries. But defensively, they looked you know, structured, coming off the line hard, collectively as opposed to ones and twos which create dog legs it's always a you know the, the weather was a bit of a leveler i think as well it was absolutely teaming it down at one point in paris we'll see how they are at the end of the six nations but hopefully they continually improve and um you know england are probably going to go and put 50 on them this weekend oh people are already talking about the clash this weekend against ireland and paris is the title decider is it but disrespectful to scotland or jim you mentioned it before and england Mate, we've got a losing bonus point. Yeah, we're talking Grand Slam here, Andrew. This is Grand Slam chat, so if you if you let us carry on. He said title. He didn't say Grand Slam. He said title. Yeah, we'll go with Grand Slam. It sounds so much better. And you're not in that. England aren't in that chat. True, true. We're gone. Let me take it from here just for the first bit, and then you can jump in about the wooden spoon decider later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, this is the one. Your mug. Your absolute mug, Jim. I know. I know. We're quarter English, and they're going to hate me. I think they've all unfollowed me now. Well, this is the big one. This is the game of the weekend in terms of a neutral... Or if there is going to be a Grand Slam, you could arguably say it's going to happen from one of these two teams. Scotland play Ireland the last game. We don't play well against Ireland. It was close last year, but we lost and we were at home. So you're thinking, and this is in my fantasy book, if Scotland can win every game from now, Wales at the weekend, France, the game three at home, France is a team we've beaten twice. So why not twice in a row? Why not? Away last year, 14 men, at home the year before, then the guy at the bat, and then we're all shut down. So you're thinking, <laughs> beat Wales, beat France, we'll beat Italy. The last game against Ireland, if they can do it in Paris, will be a grandson decider. For me, this is where we will know how good this French team is. We're all talking about them. Everyone's talking about them. They were talking about them before Ireland beat the All Blacks. World Cup there next year. Brilliant team. DuPont, World Player of the Year. So much going for it, but they've got to beat Ireland. Like This is the one for them. And if they can beat Ireland, they can raise their performances... But like I just mentioned earlier when we were talking about the French-Italy game, they play a very similar style to Ireland in terms of how physical they are. So I just hope it's not one of them where it is hosing it down. It comes down to penalties. I wouldn't mind seeing a Johnny Sexton drop goal. How good was that drop goal a few years ago? Mate, I was, I was mm. just about to say that. And then all the memes that went round of him wheelbarrowing his spuds around Ireland afterwards. <laughs> the biggest set of cojones you've ever seen. You go back to it two years ago. That led to Ireland's Grand Slam. You know, that drop goal, they probably shouldn't have won that game. And then he slotted it from about 48 metres. Unbelievable strike. It was so good. Ridiculous. Always said that he could go to least 50. Always said it. <laughs> but yeah, I can't wait for this game. It's, it is obviously a massive game this weekend. I just wish it was later on in the tournament, maybe. So both teams could really hit their straps. But Ireland looked unbelievable at the weekend. France, when they wanted to... Yeah, their back row was ridiculous. I thought Jalonch was really good as well. It's, yeah, it's going to be a massive battle... And whoever wins that 
his box seat to, to win it overall. Well, the Guinness Six Nations is back, and so is the Guinness Match Pint Predictor, with over 40,000 pints of Guinness won at the weekend alone. And if you want to join at home, it isn't too late. All you need to do is download the Match Pint app, join our league with the code RugbyPod, and get your predictions in to win free pints and other great prizes as well. Round one, lads, how'd you get on? Full house, was it? Maximum points? Not maximum points. You got all three games right, because maximum points would be three exact score lines but you did very well you did very well. I just couldn't bring myself to do it I, th- I thought thought about it I had loads of ideas in my head when England was 17-10 up I had a few ideas in my head about a tweet and a, a video that I was going to put out to Jim Hamilton and all this stuff and I was happy I'd gone England by four in the match point predictor and then fucking Eddie Jones gets involved and we end up losing by three I tip my hat to you James by that result you were correct so Jim's currently in 662nd place in the league and Goody, just over 1,000 places behind and 1,701st. Yeah, but there's like 400,000 people in our league, so we're still doing pretty well. <laughs> Let's get into this week then. Wales and Scotland. Who are you supporting, Goody? Hand on heart. Hand on heart, as your Scotsman is one of your best mates and one of the best we've ever done it, who are you supporting? Oh, I'm a quarter Welsh, mate, so we're going to go Wales. So we're going to Cardiff in a couple of weeks. So, mate, Wales every day of the week. So who do you think's winning then? So you want Wales to win, and let me try and sell you it. We've got a Scotland team, right, that beat Wales a couple of years ago. Should have beat them last year if it weren't for a red card. Beat France away, beat England away, put 50 points in England at the weekend, beat Australia comfortably, (laughs) beat Japan comfortably. We are flying at the minute, and Wales are limping. But they've got Dan Big, a friend of the show, who we love. Surely, Andrew, that is enough to make you think that Scotland the Brave are going to do it. You convinced me there, James. I read Tame Bash and what he said in the press about there's going to be a massive edge to train this week. And then I read that Scotland haven't beaten Wales in Cardiff at the Principality for 20 years. And I thought, I convinced myself, I'm a quarter Welsh. I used to wear red cycling shorts. I was going to go for Wales. But now you have spoken, James, the man of Scotland the knowledge that you are, the fountain of knowledge that you are. I'm going to go Scotland by four. I'm going to go Scotland by... Are they allowed to close the roof now? Or because the man who at the bat, who knows, can they close it or not? Who knows? I mean, COVID gets you indoors if you're not sat down. So who knows, mate? Indoors, outdoors. If they close the roof, I reckon it could be Scotland by nine. Based on what? What do you mean based on what? (laughs) We had two opportunities against England at the weekend and we took them. If we get five opportunities against Wales, we'll probably take all of them. So I'm going to say... Scotland by nine. Boom. France, Ireland. This is tough. This is tough. I'm definitely supporting Ireland. As much as I like seeing how the French have come on. I'm going to go Ireland by three. Oh, I'm going to go France by four. And the big one. Italy v England. I'll take this. Italy by four. (laughs) Be close. Imagine. Can you imagine? I think you'll push them all the way, Goody. I think you will. (laughs) I think the desire will be there. But I just think Italy by four. I'm sticking to that. I ain't moving. I'm going to say England by 28. Well, shall we have a quick look at the Premiership before we go? Wasps, Goody, they're on a roll, aren't they? Winning at Sandy Park. Mate, you, we just dust the big teams week after week after week. You know, they beat Leicester Tigers. They beat Saracens. Now they beat Exeter. With about 25 minutes to go, there's absolutely no chance that Wasps Was should have won that game. Exeter will be absolutely kicking themselves. But for every game that Wasps have lost in the last minute, they've lost a few this year. You know, the belief is there and it's a bit of feel good. Malachi Fekato now signed for Munster, but he was pretty big at the weekend. And, you know, Paolo Adogwu, back to form of fitness. I mean, I'm looking at him running and I'm thinking, I've stood next to him. I interviewed him at, in the Andy Good suite a few weeks back. 
and he's running. He's as wide as he is tall, but he shifts like you wouldn't believe. Wouldn't fancy tackling him. But yeah, Wasps were good. Delighted to get the win. Tough place to go. I know Exeter are missing quite a lot. But it just shows this premiership is a strange old beast this year. And Jim Hamilton was right. Exeter ain't making the top four. And Sale had a couple of big guns back for their win away at Quinns. Tuolangi and Fafta Clerk both back. We mentioned it before with Sale, didn't we? You bring them back in, you're a different team. And Manu, you've got hungry. And then you've got a man who wants to eat pasta and get in that <laughs> match squad against Italy. Because he is going around monstering people. And we say monstering, Andrew. I know me and you have looked at the video of him monstering Esther Hazen. Oh, my tackle. Me and Goody were saying and trying to joke about it, and I'm saying, oh, yeah, I've monstered people like that before. I don't think, even in my dreams, I've ever hit a man like that as much as I wanted to. <laughs> That's like a textbook tackle. Unbelievable. And then Alex Anderson said, didn't he? He said, look, if Manu Tuolang is going around robbing people and then... Fafta Clerk's pickpocketing people, something like that anyway. So, Eddie, whatever he said, I believe him. So, a uh, big <laughs> win for sale, obviously in the shadows of the Six Nations, but the talking point and the news from that is that Manu's back and Fafta Clerk's back and without having to watch the game, you bring them two back into that sale team, they're a different team. So, my hope is for sale, and I say this, wanting Manu to play a Test Match Rugby again and play for England again, is not seeing Manu rush back into the Six Nations squad having to play the next few games and then monstering himself because that's what he does and then missing the back end of the season for sale. Like, you'd be good. You'd be pissed off if you were Sale, wouldn't you? But yeah. if you're Manu, I'm sure you'd want to be back in that England squad. But no, Sale look class, physical, and they roll on in the shadows of the Six Nations. Gloucester are arguably the form team of the competition at the moment, aren't they? Third place, beating London Irish on Friday night. Scoreline says it all, is it not? 24 points to seven against London Irish. You wouldn't have been missing many and things are Good there at the Cherry and Whites. Andy Good, you have fueled the fire at that club. And the big question was, can they sustain it? Well, of course they can. Rainbow's arms at the helm as team manager. So Ruin Ackerman carving up for them. They've got a good squad there. This is a big period for Gloucester, isn't it? They've only lost two big players in Lewis Rees-Samet, Chris Harris, who are key to giving Gloucester a little bit of sparkle. But big win against London Irish are in form as well. So obviously I'm happy. Well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, loads of good. We're going to start off talking about Gloucester, actually. And Ruin Ackerman, Jim mentioned him before. Two tries and another man-of-the-match performance in Gloucester's win over London Irish. Sticking in the Premiership, Sale had a massive victory down at the Champions. Harlequins, 36 points to 14. We mentioned it. Manu back, Faf back. Oh, my tackle. Oh, my hair. Sale looking good for a late charge towards the playoffs. We've got to mention them, James. The Mighty Wasps. Beating extra 27 points to 26 down at Sandy Park. Palo Adogwu getting the winning try six minutes into overtime. And they were 26 points to eight down earlier in the second half. So um, tip the slipper to Wasps. Here's one for you, Jim. You might not have seen this. A lot of ruggers on over the weekend. Six Nations, Premiership, bit of top 14, but also the B6 Nations. Did you see the result between Portugal and Georgia? What do you think? No, I don't think you did. But anyway, I will inform you, Jim. Everyone's clamouring to get Georgia in the Six Nations. Portugal, they drew 25-all away in Georgia in the Rugby Europe Championship. I call it the B6 Nations. We'll, we'll give it the due respect. It's the Rugby Europe Championship. And it's the first time that Georgia have failed to win at home in the Championship since 2009, Jim. Tip of the slipper to Portugal for getting the draw. Portugal, welcome to the Six Nations in two years, maybe. Hell of a place. Yeah, it is. Can't wait to go back to the Comrade in the Algarve at the, in the summer as well. Anyway... 
Back to the Six Nations and Italy, and specifically Tommaso Menoncello, the youngest try scorer in the Six Nations for 55 years. Well, technically, he's the youngest try scorer ever in the Six Nations, but the youngest try scorer in the tournament for 55 years at the age of just 19. So a massive shout out to him. Sticking with wingers, Gavin Villiers, the first Frenchman to score a hat-trick in the Six Nations since Vincent Clerc scored a hat-trick against Ireland in 2008. So tip of the slipper to him and his red scrum cap. Uh, Bundiaki scored the quickest try in the opening game of a Six Nations tournament since, um, yeah, since me, basically. I scored one against Italy in 2009, my only ever Six Nations try. But Bundy's was quick, just not quite as quick as mine, eh, Jim? No, it wasn't, no. But it was better, though. It looked better. It looked powerful and quicker. Yeah, it did, actually. I put a kick through and I skinned the prop, so, you know, and I looked like a prop as well. Anyway, let's carry on. Mac Hansen, he gets a shout-out in the good this week. Man of the match on his Ireland debut. Ireland get a shout-out collectively as well. Dominant throughout the whole game. They didn't even concede a penalty until midway through the second half, which shows how much they were on top of the Welsh and have laid down a marker for everyone else during the Six Nations. And now, James... Let's time for the good. And we're going to mention a few things around this good. We're going to start off with Hamish Watson. Uh, he hasn't won the good. Well, kind of he has, but he hasn't won it individually. He's made 163 tackles in a row in the Six Nations. So his last 163 tackles he's made, he hasn't missed one. What a stat that is. Most of them with a mullet as well. You needed to add that in. Most of them with a mullet. But it just shows that the power of the mullet, he doesn't need it because he's still banging boys for fun and not missing tackles. I think he does. I don't think he's quite the same without the mullet. He's coming back. I did give him the nod and he gave me the nod, which meant the mullet's on the way back. So it's coming back. That's what we need. Hamish, grow the mullet back. But anyway, hell of a stat. 163 tackles in a row without missing one. Darcy Graham, we spoke to him earlier. He beat six defenders, which was the same number as the entire England team. So hell of an effort from him. Involved in three massive moments in the game for Scotland. The try created for Ben McWhite. The crossfield kick that he was about to score off before Luke Cowan Dickey slapped it into touch, and then the turnover at the end. So a uh, hell of an effort from Darcy Graham, and great to have him on the podcast as well. So collectively, he wins the good with his whole Scotland team. Scotland are going to win the good for this week, James. And I can just see the smile on your face. I'm not surprised. There's not even a smidge of surprise. Like, it's not even up for debate. Say it. Let me hear you say it again. Well, it is because it's my section and I could have been a right arse and given it to someone else. But I'm humble. <laughs> I'm absolutely humble, James. And I'm going to give the good this week to Scotland as it's the first time they've beaten England in back-to-back games since 1984. And they won the Grand Slam that year, James. So who knows what the next few weeks has in store for Scotland. They get the good this week. A few bits of bad. We're going to start off with Toulon losing 22 points to 10 at home to Cast. We mentioned them in the bad last week as well. But they're now rock bottom of the top 14. Who'd have thought that, eh? Toulon spending all that cash on the Galacticos, now bottom of the top 14. So they definitely get a mention of the bad. Toulouse are going to get a mention of the bad this week as well. They're missing their internationals, but they got absolutely spanked. 36 points to 13 at Perpignan, who were down at the bottom as well. So not a good result for them. Uh, Harlequins, they're going the bad. Losing 36 points to 14 at home to Sale. And that is back-to-back premiership defeats for the champions. So not a good couple of weeks for Quinns. Wales are going to get mentioned the bad. Completely outplayed and outmuscled in Dublin. And didn't have the answer to Ireland at all in any facet of the game apart from Basham's intercepts. So not a good week for the Welsh. But the bad this week is only going to one place. And it's only going to one man. 
And that man, I'm sure you all know who it is by now, is Eddie Jones and his decision-making. He should have got Jamie George on before the line-out, so we could throw it into the line-out, and then we don't have the butchered line-out that led to the scrum when he brought Jamie George on, that led to the penalty, that led to Scotland taking the three points to win the game. But more importantly, don't take Marcus Smith off with 20 minutes to go. What are you doing, son? Eddie, are you okay? You've had a shocker. Put your hand up, say you got it wrong, and we could all move on. Eddie Jones gets the bad this week. And then the ugly, two bits of ugly this week, actually. And I'm going to start off with Josh Adams and his collision with Johnny Sexton. Yellow was the right call, but an inch higher, and it would have been a red. God only knows what he was thinking when he absolutely blasted into Johnny Sexton. But the ugly this week goes to France prop, Mohamed Hawass. Hawassi, Hawass. Anyway, uh, he's been handed a suspended sentence in France, a 15-month suspended sentence, for his role in a spate of burglaries across France. I mean, Mohamed Hawass, you're a rugby player. You got sent off for France, punching Richie in the face against Scotland a few years back. You've been burgling houses for a few years. What are you thinking, son? I think he's been booted out of the French team for a while anyway. So the ugly this week goes to Mohamed Hawass and his burglaries. Thanks, Goody. And you guys got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, I've got a big shout-out to Old Rigations RFC under-15 girls who are now in the National Cup quarterfinals, the top 64 under-15 girls team in England, and they're competing for the trophy, with the winner being crowned on the 1st of May 2022. So a big good luck to all of you girls at the team and enjoy it. Yeah, good luck to the girls at Old Rigations and a massive shout-out to Gaz Hetheridge, and the gentlemen of Albion, who are a touring rugby team, and they're holding a charity boxing night on the 12th of February at the Wasps RFC Arena in Acton. Not the Coventry Building Society Arena, the Wasps Rugby Football Club Arena in Acton to raise money for the Matt Hampson Foundation and Acton Homeless Charity. Both great causes, so hopefully they'll raise loads of money and have a great night as well. And Jim Hamilton said, whoever wins it, it'll take him on in a second fight to see who is the hardest. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. <laughs> thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube as well. And make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby Spot. Spotted Pod, 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 Pod. Uh-huh.